Good morning again. We are so excited to have you here with us, and it is officially the new year. And we were so sad that we missed you last week, but we had church on the go. So even though we didn't meet here physically, we were online. And that message is still up. If you'd like to take a look at it, you can go to the website. It's still there for you to catch. Um, We had some worship and a message to share, and just so thankful that we had the time to take off that last Sunday of the year and spend with our family. And the team's been working really hard. And so it's really great to have that tradition as a church. I say tradition as a church, it's our first time we've ever done it. We've done it now, so it's our tradition. So we're just uh, so thankful that we had that opportunity to do that. encourage you to check that out. And just so thankful that you're here today on this brand new New Year 2019 and really excited about this new series called Selfless. And what happens all the time at New Year, what do we do? I mean, really it's spurred by a lot of times what happens at the holiday, right? Everyone, I saw someone post this week online that right before the, the New Year was like, this is the last week we get to live in PJs, right? We have to actually go back to our job and we have to start eating eating right and getting into routine. But I think really time the end of the year when we just totally let loose, we eat whatever we want, right? The schedule goes out the window. If you got kids, the bedtime is just shot. There is no routine, right? And so it really reminds us how much we really need to focus on improving ourselves or getting back into that routine. So what happens at the beginning of every year, we all do it, and maybe you've done it too, is that we set some kind of New Year's resolution, something that we want to do and improve ourselves in some way. And I don't know if you've done that, but many times we all do those things, and it's really a good thing to do. And most of the time, they're based on some form of self-improvement, right? Something that we want to do better. Many times people are like, I'm going to lose weight. I'm finally going to cut a couple of pounds. I'm going to exercise more. How many people have said that before? I actually saw someone who got a treadmill um, the last couple of weeks, and they posted a picture, and they're like, can't wait to have all my clothes draped across this this year. You know what I'm saying? So we all put those things out there we want to do. Or maybe you said, I want to get out of debt. Or I want the house to be cleaner. Maybe you've seen that Netflix series where they, they go through and make your house clean. You get rid of all of the stuff. You begin to purge. And maybe you're like, man, that's going to be a great thing for us to do this year. Or maybe this is the year that you finally decided you're actually going to get rid of the cat. Right? You said, this is it. This is the New Year's resolution. All the cat lovers just looked at me and were like, death to you, Brian. But maybe, maybe you just needed to get rid of the cat. I don't know. Or, or get a dog because they're better. But anyway... It's, <laughs> Anyway, I love cats. My wife's really allergic. We can't have them. But anyway, they're, they're cool. And so uh, what's really fun, totally rabbit trail, if you haven't met Ryan and Jasmine, um, they are our, our next-gen pastors here. And Jasmine actually has a cat. And can anyone guess what Jasmine's cat's name is? Anyone? Raja. Remember from Aladdin? Yes. Isn't that cool? I mean, come on. So when you see Jasmine, you let her know she's got Raja in there. I don't think they have a magic carpet or a genie or anything, but there is definitely a Jasmine and a Raja living in there. And you can call um, Ryan Aladdin if you'd like. But anyway, total aside, they're not getting rid of the cat. They have a cool one. But we all do things that we want to do to improve ourselves, to make the year better in certain ways that we want to improve ourselves. And honestly, they're a good thing to do. And if you don't have one, I, I would encourage you, find some way to better yourself. Find some way to improve yourself, but we want to really encourage you in this new year to not simply limit to yourself, not not just simply limit it to self-improvement. See, I think the tragedy comes when we don't simply put our focus on just ourselves and the things that way we need to improve, and we really don't put the, the focus on what it comes to a relationship with God or what God is asking us to do or, or living more like Christ. And so instead of being self, selfish, we want to be selfless. And instead, we want to surrender to God's will and what he wants for us. 
many times we simply see God, and maybe this is my own experience, but maybe you'll identify with this as well. Many times we just see God as a tool in order to get what we want in our life. I remember one time someone told me, it's like God's like the big slot machine in the sky, right? And you just pop that prayer coin in there, and you're like, man, come on. Papa needs a brand new pair of shoes, right? And we see God as this tool, this means to get what we want to improve our life, and it just becomes about God. Help me, bless me, make me happy, protect me, protect my life, make me richer. And it can be very easy in our relationship with God to allow it to become so self-centered that we just simply begin to think about ourselves. And isn't it honest, isn't it true that no one had to teach us to be selfish, right? It's not like someone's like, I'm going to set this New Year's resolution and I'm really just going to focus more on myself this year. I mean, come on. I mean, we're just born. We come out of the womb selfish, right? What is the first word? It's like me, mine, right? No one had to teach my two-year-old. I mean, I saw my two-year-old give my eight and ten-year-old a smackdown this week. I mean, she was like, that is my bracelet. It's mine. It's over. Game on, right? We're just born selfish. And so it's really easy in the same thing in our faith that we can become self-centered, that we become focused on just how we can prove ourselves. And many times we can say, you know what? I I tried God. I tried this chasing after Jesus thing, and it just didn't work out. It didn't go my way. I I tried church. I I tried going. I I tried saying some prayers, and God didn't really help me. I didn't see the improvement that I thought I would. And see, what happens is instead of being selfless, we become self-centered in our faith. But Matthew 16, 24, the Bible tells us this, and this is a scripture that's difficult one to read, but it's something that's important for us as those who are following Jesus. It says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So whoever wants to be Christ's disciple, if you want to follow after Jesus, we have to deny ourselves, deny what we want, deny our needs, and we simply must follow after him. And that's such a great verse to read and say, oh man, that's great. That's amazing. But it's a whole nother thing to actually to begin to live that way. And so I'm excited about this series as we talk about going from being selfish to being selfless in this new year. So just to give you a quick flyover of what this series looks like, Today, we're going to talk about being bold in witness. Next week, we're going to talk about faithful service. In the third week, we're going to talk about extravagant giving. And then in the last week, we're going to talk about being grateful in the grind. So the first week, use me to reach more people, God. This is being bold in witness. Even if I'm laughed at and ridiculed, we want to be bold in our witness. The next week, we want to be faithful to serve. Use me, God, to show love to others, even if it makes me uncomfortable. That's faithful in servants. And then we want to, God, to empower us, to give more, to be generous, to bless others, even if I have to make personal sacrifices. That's extravagant giving. And finally, God, we want you to empower us to do everything for your glory, even if it pushes me. That's being grateful in the grind. But today we're talking about being bold in witness. And so I want to set up a story that we're going to take a look at Jesus and his disciples. And so Jesus' disciples, he had these 12 guys that he did life with. He basically recruited and said, hey, come follow me. I'll teach you in the ways of God. I'll show you how to follow after me. I'll show you how to build my kingdom, how to love others, how to serve God, how to put him first. And so these disciples, these men had a front row seat to Jesus' life and ministry here on the earth. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. 
But they got to be there and see up front and personal all of the amazing miracles that Jesus did. Can you even imagine that he got to see Jesus multiply a lunch and feed multitudes of people? That he got to see people actually healed, blind eyes open. Can you imagine getting to see that? Matter of fact, they even got to see him raise someone from the dead. So these disciples saw Jesus do these amazing, amazing, powerful acts. And I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have that front row seat and see all that happen. And so they had been with him for three years and they've seen all of this stuff happen. And then Jesus sits them down. He's like, hey guys, I want to let you know what's going to happen. Here's the plan. It didn't go the way they thought it was going to go. He said, I'm going to give my life as a sacrifice. They didn't understand any of that. I'm going to die. He said, but hey, on the third day, I'm going to come back. I I will raise from the dead. And And they just couldn't get their head around this because this is not the plan that they had. This is not how they thought it would go. And it's exactly what happened as Jesus said that he suffered a brutal death on the cross, that he was buried and he was dead for three days and it was Sunday. And you would think at this point that the disciples, as they had this front row seat, seeing all this happen, seeing all the things that Jesus did, you would think that they would be out boldly proclaiming who Jesus was. But as we'll see here in a second, that's not exactly how the story went and what happened. So in John 20, it says this, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Don't you love this picture? The people who were empowered by Jesus, that he was like, showed them all of these things, did all of this miraculous power, front row seat to everything that Jesus did. You would think that they would be bold and go and be like, man, we've got to tell people about Jesus. But instead, they're hiding behind locked doors. They're not even in the house. It wasn't even like, hey, they were in someone's house. The door is locked. The curtains are pulled. The lamp is off. No one is home, right? Don't even move the curtain or the blinds a little bit when you see someone outside because you don't want them to know that your home. A few of you are like, oh man, I'm busted. They know that we do that. You do that too, right? So it's just crazy that they were hiding behind the locked doors and they were afraid. And, and I think many times if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we identify with the disciples a little bit and that we don't share our faith in Jesus with others. And why do we do that? Well, I think sometimes it's simply that we think we don't know enough that I don't have enough knowledge and I, I don't have enough Bible knowledge. And I don't know enough about Jesus. And what if someone asked me a question that I can't handle and then I would look stupid and I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know what to do or I don't want to offend somebody, right? I don't, I want to force something on them. or I don't want to be that kind of Christian or come across pushy or any of those sort of things. But I really think at the center of it, if we really examine our heart and what's going on is many times we're just like the disciples here that we're, we're scared, that we're scared to share our faith in Christ. I remember in college, uh, I went to a, a Bible school in, in um, actually Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, which um, when I was there, we called the buckle of the Bible belt. Um, Tulsa, Jerusalem, we had all kinds of nicknames for it. The bubble, uh, a lot of Christian people, a lot of churches, a whole lot of Jesus going on in Tulsa. Just let me tell you that. And so I, I remember, you know, I'm in school and I, I'm in school for ministry and I'm an evangelism major. And, and, you know, I struggle too sharing my faith with people. I know that my come to a surprise to you that as a pastor you think that I would just glow and emanate with the glory and anointing of God to just instantly in my presence when I walk into Starbucks people fall to the ground and accept Christ. That doesn't, doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. I, I too I don't, I don't have a cape. I'm not a superhero. I sometimes struggle and feel scared to share my faith as well. And this one particular time at school in Tulsa we were in Walmart and I, you know I'm not the most outgoing and you know 
pushy person in the world, and you know, just let's get through Walmart, let's get our things done. But I had a couple of friends, they were like super evangelists. And maybe you've got friends like this, but they're like, if it's got breath, I'm leading it to Jesus. I'm pretty sure at one party they led someone's dog to Christ. Like, I mean, they are just that in it. They are in it to win it. And we're in line this one time in Walmart, and my friend's like, it's game on. I'm totally leading this cashier to Christ. I'm like, dude, come on, there's like 50 people behind us. There's so many, but this is not, we don't have time. Let's, let's just go. And I'm like trying to rush and get out of there. I'm like, this is so embarrassing. And so he, he's like, you know, and we're both, you know, Bible students from across the street, and I'm embarrassed about sharing Jesus with this cashier. And so he, he gets up there, he, you know, she's scanning our stuff, and she's just totally disinterested with this conversation, right? And she's like, boop, you know, boop, and something about Jesus and the Holy Spirit or whatever. And she's like, mm-hmm. And so she stops and cuts him off. And this is a true story. And she's like, all right, I'm going to stop you right there. What you should have said is you should have asked me if I had a personal relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I was like, this lady is seriously the Walmart cashier training us by Bible students on how we're supposed to witness. It's a true story. It really happened. And so we were just like, Jesus, you can just come back now. Apparently all of Tulsa is ready for you. We can't even witness to random people at Walmart. And so I, it was just such a crazy experience. And I haven't experienced that since. And God bless the people who are there. They can't even witness to people at Walmart. But it's sometimes difficult to share our faith, isn't it? And sometimes it can be hard. And, and God bless the people who have that boldness to just share it with the cashier at Walmart. That was never really my, my MO, something that I, I struggled with. But the amazing thing here with the disciples as we take a look at this story is that something changed. And you know that something's got to change because we know about Jesus. And so somewhere along the line, they got the story out so that it could get to us here in our day and age. And so we take a look at the rest of this verse in John 20, 19, and it says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Remember, they were afraid. But then suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them, and they all needed a change of pants. No, they, I mean, can you imagine in that moment? I mean, that had to be crazy. Jesus is dead. We're hiding behind locked doors. And he's like, yo, what's up? And it's basically a transition. It says, peace, I'm with you. Peace be with you. The message translation is like, what's up? I mean, that, that's just, Jesus just, I love the Bible. You got to read that in there. You got to make it more interesting because that's exactly how it happened. It wasn't some like calm, like peace. Be with. I mean, they were probably freaking out. Jesus just shows up, but suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then we see what happens. That when they spend time with Jesus, this change begins to happen. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. This change begins to happen. That They go from selfish to selfless. And amazingly, they go from being timid to being incredibly bold. Matter of fact, Peter and John, they just go start out and preaching to everyone. They're like, repent of your sins. I mean, they are just all in. Matter of fact, there is no more timidity at all. I mean, they are so bold about it that the religious leaders that they were afraid of, they had every right to be afraid because now they're questioning them. They're facing prison. I mean, this is a really risky thing. The thing that they were saying was not allowed to be said. They couldn't tell people about the goodness of Jesus and who he was. I mean, they were going to lock them up. And so the high priest, and I got to be careful with his name, which was Annas, um, I'm sure he, <laughs> I'm sure he probably got made fun of a lot behind closed doors, and I've got some great jokes, which the middle school boy in me inside just keeps laughing, which I won't say them now because they're kind of inappropriate. But Annas, who was the the high priest, very unfortunate name, um, and and so they they come and they ask them by like by what power and whose name have you done this? Like basically, who do you think you are, and what do you think you're doing? And so and he's got the power to like lock them up. I mean, this is this is a big deal. This isn't something that's that's you know. Uh, 
a minor infraction here. And so Peter, this is the amazing thing, Peter responds, and Peter was the one who was like, remember, denied Jesus three times, even to like a little girl. He's like, I don't know him. I don't know who he, I mean, this is Peter. Like he was just a wet noodle. You know what I'm saying? There was like, there was no backbone in this guy at all. I mean, Jesus is just like, I don't know him. I've never seen him before. I mean, and this is the guy who denied Jesus. And look at this boldness that he has in Acts 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state it to all of you and the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Don't you love the boldness, the change that happens here, that they go from cowering behind a locked door to basically being like, Peter's like, what's up? I'm about to throw down in here. Remember that guy you crucified? Well, here's what's happened. Here's what's going on. If you don't like it, you can lock me up. I mean, he just goes gangsta, right? The little meme comes up and the little, you know, pixelated sunglasses come on his face. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he just straight up went for it. Just the boldness that he had in that moment. Matter of fact, you know, it's just amazing to see that boldness that he had. And here's something that's true. And and I've got this for our notes. And if you're taking notes, this is the one you've got to catch today about boldness. We will speak boldly about what we believe deeply. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply deeply. And we all do this. Can we just be honest? You go to some amazing restaurant, right? And it's like, you can't just have the restaurant experience from yourself. You got to tell everyone, let me tell you about this cheesecake. This cheesecake will change your life. They put some grappe sauce on it. I don't even know what that is, but it sounded amazing and it was delicious, right? Or I had these tacos, all these tacos. They were like these street tacos and they were just, "Mm, man, they were so good, right? And you got to tell everyone about it. You want everyone to go experience this restaurant that you have. There's this one, it's got these big golden arches. They have french fries. It's amazing. You got to go. It'll change your life. Anyway, we all speak boldly about what we believe deeply. Or how about you get a pair of shoes? They're the most comfortable pair of shoes you've ever had. It's like I'm walking on air, right? And you got to tell people, you've got to get a pair. These shoes changed my life. They will change you, right? We speak so boldly about it because we believe about it. Or how about Pittsburgh? Hello, our sports teams. We speak passionately about what we believe deeply. And we still believe deeply that the Browns stink, right? We still believe it deeply. We still believe even the Steelers, even though they are a hot mess this season. And right now, can you just say thank you, Jesus, for the pens? Because now we have someone else to put our hope in right now. But we speak boldly. We speak, come on now, we're preaching now. Woo! We believe deeply about those things. And so we get it. Or how about like the Netflix series? I mean, everyone's now like, oh, this Netflix series, it'll change it. It's so good. I took off three days of work and binge watched all three seasons. It's amazing. You just got to watch it. It's so good, right? You're laughing because you know you all do it. We all speak boldly about what we believe deeply. It's just what we do. And so Peter, in this moment, he believes deeply in what's happened about Jesus and Jesus, who he said he was. So take a look here in Acts 4, 12, it continues. It says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed and they saw the boldness that Peter and John had for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. Oh, I love that. 
I love seeing that, that, that boldness that they had. And it really causes me and, and myself to really, even as I was preparing this message this last week, to even really ask myself this question. So I wanted to share this question with you as well is, how amazed are people by your boldness for Christ? How amazed are people by your boldness for Christ? This is something I'd ask myself. How, how amazed are people when it comes to my boldness for Christ? And, and actually to, to make this fun and to kick the new year off and to really make this challenging, why don't we go ahead and slap a scale up there? And let's just say on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being completely unmoved, or a 10 that people were absolutely amazed by your boldness for Christ. And let's just go ahead and grade on a curve. Let's just say Jesus is a 10. Let's just say Jesus is a 10. None of us can get to that point. But how amazed? amazed are people by your boldness for Christ. And let me help you out this. If maybe you see yourself as a, a six, seven, or eight, that you have shared Christ with others, or even invited someone to church before. Maybe you have a list of people that you're praying for constantly, or a family member, a friend, or a neighbor, or someone you know hasn't experienced or accepted Christ, and so you're, you're praying for them on a regular basis, and they, people are amazed by that boldness that you have. Or maybe you're that kind of person that just, after you get to know someone for a while, you, you open up and you'll share the trust that you have in God and what Jesus has done for you, maybe a coworker or someone at the gym or, or, or a teammate or whatever it is. Or maybe you see yourself on the other side of the scale and you're like, I've never invited anyone. Matter of fact, I feel like the disciples sometimes hiding behind that door and maybe people would even be amazed to find out that you're a follower of Jesus at all. And so be honest with yourself and where do you see yourself on that scale of one to 10? How amazed are people by your boldness that you have for Christ? I was fortunate to be raised in a home uh, that loved Jesus. Matter of fact, my, my parents were pastors, which comes with a whole other set of baggage. And you can sit down with my counselor sometime if you don't believe me. Um, but we all, we, all, we all have issues, right? But I was so thankful that I grew up in a home that loved Jesus, that I had parents that were pastors. But that didn't automatically mean that I was going to own my faith on my own, that I was going to accept Jesus just because my parents were Christians. But somewhere along the line, I'm thankful that I went to a church that really valued children and they invested in me and they taught me about Jesus and I caught it and I got it. And I remember being really young, like around 11 years old. And it was like this first time where this like light bulb went off. I'm like, how awesome Jesus was and how much God really loved me. And I remember we were living in Elkins, West Virginia at the time. And I remember we were at the city park and I'm like 11 years old and I straight up go Peter on these guys, like on the playground. I'm like preaching down and I'm like, man, you you've got to get a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you what God has done to my 11-year-old soul. I mean, I'm just like telling you, like that Halloween candy I stole from my sister, he forgave my sins. Like I'm just preaching to these kids. And at one point we're like on like the little merry-go-round spinning around and I'm not letting up. Like we're spinning around. And I'm still telling them, you've got to get a relationship with Jesus. God loves you so much as boldness. And it was amazing to see their face where they're just kind of like, you know, right? And I remember seeing my leader's faces at the time who were also at the park with us. And they're also like, like, who is this kid? Like, what is going on in this moment? They were absolutely amazed by the boldness. And matter of fact, I was kind of surprised at my own boldness there. Because I'm like, this is not unusual for me. This is not what I normally do. But I was just so excited by the experience that I had for Jesus. But what I've come to know over the years is that that boldness doesn't always stick around. That sometimes it feels fleeting or, or we feel afraid or we feel like, man, it would be great to be able to share with someone, but we just don't have that boldness. Or maybe you felt frustrated. And I felt this in my own life. 
and I feel frustrated, and I know someone, and I see what they're going through, and I see they're hurting, and it's like, man, if, man, if they could just have a relationship with Jesus, man, if there was just someone who could tell them. And maybe you felt that way before and wish that you had the boldness. And so we ask ourselves this question today. How do we grow in boldness? How do we grow in boldness? And, and really, the, it's a great question to ask. And I, I think there are two ways that we can do that. The first one is this, is to simply spend more time with Jesus. Spend more time with Jesus. This is how we can grow in boldness. Acts 4.13, remember this is what they said. They were amazed by the disciples' boldness, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So who was God using? He was using ordinary, regular people like you and me. Matter of fact, it says unschooled people, which if you look at the original word, the Greek word for that was idiotates, you can take a guess at what word in the English that we also get from that word, idiots, right? And so who does God use most often? He used idiots who have been with Jesus. So I'm thankful because now I am qualified to be used by God. But see, what happens in my own life, even as a pastor, that I begin to recognize in myself that this boldness really begins to wane, begins to go away if I skip that quiet time. If I'm not spending that time with God, if I'm not investing myself in spending time with him in prayer and reading scripture and really spending time alone with Jesus, I become spiritually distracted. And honestly, I just become consumed with all the things in the world, right? It becomes I get way too invested in the game, right? And I start throwing stuff at the screen, right? It's just, it gets really ugly. Like Brian has to repent at those moments. I just get so consumed with what's going on or with fashion or social media, right? You get, you get scroll thumb, right? I mean, you just, it hurts right now doing that. I mean, it just, you, know, you just get so distracted or we just become spiritually apathetic if we don't spend time with God. And if we want to grow in our boldness, we've got to make it a priority. And I found this when I make Jesus first, when I spend time, when I make it a priority to get in his presence, when I make it a priority to spend time in prayer and reading his word and worshiping, whatever that is for you, what that looks like in your quiet time, that I get this spiritual urgency, that this confidence begins to build and this this boldness I begin to feel and I see God begin to use me again. But it comes down to spending more time with Christ. We're so excited um, this January. We just kicked off 21 days of prayer. You heard it in the announcement video there at the beginning. We just want to encourage all of you to participate at some level. It's all on the website. There's a link to 21 days of prayer. To jump in and pray and pray with us as a church. We have 10 prayer declarations that we are believing as a church for 2019. And so we just encourage you to spend some time praying and believing God for great things. And so I want to encourage you to begin to spend Spend time with God, and you will begin to see that boldness build in you. So how else do we begin to grow in our boldness? What's the second way? Well, this one might seem a little simple, but ask God to make you bold. Just simply ask God to make you bold. See, the religious leaders, they continue to threaten They continue to threaten the disciples because they were going to be thrown in jail. You could be put to death. And here's the thing that's just amazing, that we live in a country where we can go and do this and we don't face any penalty of the law. But there are still so many brothers and sisters in Christ across the world who do not live in a free nation and their families are in danger. Matter of fact, sometimes their own life can be in danger if they they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask God to make us bold. In Acts 4.29, it says this, And now, O Lord, Hear their threats. They're basically God saying, God, they're coming after us. They're threatening us. But this is an amazing what they say. And give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. 
Don't you love this boldness? It's not like, oh God, hear their threats. Please keep us safe. Please take them out. Wipe them out. Do something. Don't let anything bad happen. No, that's not what they pray. They get so bold. God, they're threatening us. Will you please just make us bolder? Will you please give us that confidence in who you are? See, what happens when we pray for boldness and we spend time with Christ, we will begin to see that selfishness shift to selflessness and we begin to deny ourselves and understand that we're not just simply living for today, but that we're living for eternity. We're not just simply living for today, we're living for eternity. And see, when this life is over, when we've breathed our last breath on this planet, we all will live somewhere forever. That's the reality. And see, we can live in the presence and the glory of God in heaven, or the Bible tells us that we can live in the horror and the eternal damnation of hell. And if I can be honest with you for a moment this morning, I've never really been a big fan of the whole fire and brimstone and like the scary preaching. Like, I'm not selling fire insurance. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to scare people into a relationship with Jesus. I don't think that should be the motivation. I think a life with Jesus is so much more than that. But I, I wouldn't be true to God's word this morning if I didn't tell you that there is, in fact, a hell that the Bible tells us about. And words are really inadequate to describe how excruciating and the anguish and the horror of it. The Bible says it's, it's like an outer darkness or an eternal lake of fire. Sounds pleasant, right? A place of torment, sorrow, of everlasting destruction. And it's, it's a real place, but is indescribable and all the suffering for day and night for all of eternity. But it's in the same way that words can't can't describe and capture the horror of hell. Words can't even begin to capture the glory of heaven. The glory of heaven. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Don't you love that? We can't even imagine. We can't even picture what it's going to be like to be in that glory before God someday, to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, to stand there, to get that, give that hug to Jesus or that high five if you're not one of those hug people, right? But just so thankful for that opportunity that we'll be able to be there with him someday. And matter of fact, we get this picture of heaven. This guy named John had a vision of heaven and he describes it in the book of Revelation and, and maybe gives us our best glimpse to understand of what, what heaven will be like. It says this in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home and is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will freely get from the springs of water of life. I will free, give freely from the springs of water, the water of life. All those who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. Isn't it an amazing thing to get a glimpse of the amazing awesomeness of what heaven will be, that there'll be no more pain, that there'll be no more suffering, that there'll be more, no more grief, that God will be our father and we will be his children. What an amazing thing to think about how amazing that will be to be there with God someday. 
See, as, as I take a look back and, and I reflect and I remember that boldness in my life that at times I felt, and even starting at that young age of having that boldness on that playground and telling my classmates about Jesus and how amazing that is that sometimes I'm frustrated at the lack of boldness that I can sometimes have and maybe even feeling sometimes the pain of regret of, man, there's been some people where I feel like, man, I, I missed the boat or, man, I had an opportunity to share with Jesus and, and I didn't. See, we speak boldly about what we believe and see, we have to ask ourselves the question, what if we tell them about Jesus? What if they're offended? What if they get upset? What if it makes me look bad or makes me feel uncomfortable? And I think the more important question we have to ask ourselves is what if we don't? What if we don't? See, and as I stand before you today, and many of you know our story was starting Treeline Church, just a, a three-month-old church, just, just in our infancy, just getting off the ground. And the question's often asked, and sometimes I ask the question myself, God, do we really need, do we really need another church? I mean, there, there are churches all over the place with empty chairs, empty pews, empty corridors. Matter of fact, they're closing them down and selling them. Do we need another church? And see, I truly believe that the answer is yes, as long as there are people who have yet to accept Jesus, those who have yet to hear the goodness of God. And that's why we are here as a church. Not to simply be selfish and say, we're starting this church to fill it with people so we can meet our needs as a church. But we truly believe that God has called us to be a church in the greater Pittsburgh area to see and have our eyes open that there are so many people who have yet to experience the love of God. There are so many families who have yet to experience that there is a God who loves them, who wants to save them, has a relationship for them, that he doesn't have anything against them, but he's sitting here waiting with arms wide open to show them the acceptance and love that only comes through relationship with Jesus. And so what would happen is we as a church, if we made the decision in 2019 to be bold in our faith together, what would happen if we begin to spend time with Jesus? What would happen if we begin to cry out and ask God to make us bold and sharing faith with others? This is what we want to do as a church. This is what we believe God has called us and sent us to do, to not be selfish and just do everything for ourselves and satisfy our own needs and fill our own needs spiritually, but recognize that there are so many who are far from God. And I truly believe, and I ask you today that if you would stand with me in that boldness and spend time in God's presence, ask him to make you bold, I truly believe that God would use us to make an impact for him in our community. What would it look like if a church would take and make the decision and say, you know what? Each generation keeps progressively getting further and further away from God. Matter of fact, we as a nation, the needle's starting to tip and we're gonna be a post-Christian society. That means that the memory of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be a mere distant memory. People won't even know about God. They won't know about Jesus. They won't know the basic stories and it's happening more and more every day. What would it happen? What would it look like if a church said, no, we're not going to allow another generation to slip away? we're going to boldly proclaim who God is to this next generation. We're going to do everything that it takes short of sin to reach them and tell them about the goodness of God, that there's a God who loves them, who wants relationship with them, who created them, who has gifted them, 
who wants to experience fullness of night life. We're not just trying to sell fire insurance and keep people from going to hell. Yes, that's a great benefit from a relationship with Jesus, but we truly believe there's so much more joy to experience in this life when we live it with him. And it isn't amazing that somewhere along the way we get so appreciative and we're so thankful of what Jesus did in our life and we recognize the goodness that he's had for us and how our lives are transformed and changed and then somewhere along the line we lose that boldness or maybe we've never had it to share it with someone else, that good news of what Jesus has done in our life. Church, would you be willing to stand with us in 2019? It's actually one of our prayer declarations. Lord, let this be a year we declare that this would be a year of salvation. And God, that you would even help us lead someone personally to you in this year. Would you bow your heads with us as we pray? And as we pray, if that's you today, and you want to ask God for boldness, you recognize that you need some boldness, and I'll be the first one to put my hand up today. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Brian, include me in that prayer. Include, see those hands. Awesome. I see those hands. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come to you right now. Jesus, and I just pray, just as your followers in the Bible asked for boldness. God, I ask for boldness for us as a church, for these individuals, for those of us who had our hands up and those of us who should have had our hands up. God, I pray that you would give us boldness. God, you would give us boldness to share our faith with others. God, not not to be crazy or weird and come at people with the Bible and beat them down, but to be authentic and genuine in relationship, Lord, but just to have that boldness to share with people that hope that we have in you, to share our story of what you've meant to us, what you've done in our life. God, I pray that you would give us boldness and that we would see you move in great ways in this year. God, that we've already seen people in this, the few short months that we've been gathering, we've seen people say yes to a relationship with you. God, would you would continue to see this happen. You would give us boldness to invite people, boldness to share who you are with them, Jesus. God, I thank you that you will give us boldness if we ask and as we spend time with you. God, just as they recognized that these were people who had been with Jesus, God, that people would recognize that relationship we have with you by the way that we live our lives, our choices, our reactions, the way we treat others. Lord, I thank you. And today, while your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to extend you an invitation that if you have never asked Christ into your life, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, we want to give you the opportunity to do that today. And see, we live in a society and a culture that basically says, well, I'm not a bad person. I've never really not done a lot of bad things, and that's not what it's about. Matter of fact, we all have done bad things. We, we've lied. We've had unforgiveness. We've had bitterness or, or hatred in our hearts or, or have done things that the Bible calls sin, and it separates us from God. But the good news is that it's not about being good enough. It's simply surrendering our life to Jesus and saying, I am in need of a Savior. I can't do this on my own. I can't be good enough. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's simply saying, God, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in what you've done. I need you to come into my life. Change me. 
And if that's you today, if you would like to say that, we want to give you the opportunity to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and you, you would say, I mean, at one time I said that prayer, I, I was living for Christ and, and maybe somewhere along the line I identified with the disciples and I locked that door and hid. Matter of fact, I just straight up didn't come out. Or life just began to happen, things just got too busy or whatever it was, it doesn't matter the reason. But today I want to give you the opportunity to come home to a relationship with God that Jesus has always been waiting with arms wide open, without judgment. So if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to do something bold while no one's looking around. If that's you in either of those two places, would you just slip your hand up today? This is more for God than it is for me. I see that hand. Anyone else? I see that hand. Awesome. Anyone else? I see those hands. You can put them down. Awesome. And so we're going to pray together out loud. I'm going to ask everyone to repeat after me because no one prays alone. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Make me new. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate and make some noise for those who said yes to a relationship with Jesus today? so incredible.